In 2011, Kendra and I were invited to share a little bit of our testimony with our church family. So on Easter morning, we got up and in front of friends and family, we opened up our hearts and we shared with them a condition that we had been suffering from. But you know, something happened along the way and uh, our theology became clear as ice, but it was twice as cold because we lost Jesus in all of that. We lost the gospel and we developed what we're now looking back on, what we're calling uh, gospel amnesia. What is gospel amnesia? That's what happens when you forget that the gospel is not just a once a year thing, but an everyday thing. As Christians, a lot of time when you hear the word gospel, and especially on Easter morning, you think a message of salvation. And sure, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating here this morning joyfully. And it's his uh, conquering over sins that um, saves us. And it certainly is the message for unbelievers to become believers. But we don't take that then and put it in a box and put it up on the shelf and say, the gospel, that's a message of salvation. We're going to take that again uh, next Easter and we'll take it down. We'll open it up again and we'll look again at the gospel. The gospel instead is, is that message for every single day. And it's a message where we, we again realize that we find our identity as believers in Jesus Christ. What Kendra and I did was we began to find our identity elsewhere. We were looking for what we believed. Uh, our theology became central. It was what we did that became central to us as opposed to what's been done for us. And that was part of the recovery. So on this episode of Homeschooling in Real Life, we're going to share the full story. What happened to us that gave us gospel amnesia? And what was it that woke us up? And what are we doing now that we're awake? Stay tuned for this episode, Losing Our Religion. This is Homeschooling in Real Life. Welcome to the Homeschooling in Real Life podcast. This is Fletch. And I'm Kendra. As veteran homeschooling parents, we discuss topics that tend to divide and distract Christian homeschoolers from each other and the gospel. On the Homeschooling IRL podcast, we promise to be honest, transparent, and witty as we discover what it means to homeschool in real life. This is Fletch. And this is Kendra. And we want to welcome you to episode 45 of Homeschooling in Real Life, Losing Our Religion. Hmm, this is the long-awaited episode, Fletch. Well, this is where we finally tell our story. Yeah. And you know, one of the things, one of the reasons we're doing this is Mm -hmm. homeschooling in real life. We want to be real with our listeners and let them know who we are. That's right. And then, sorry. Yeah, it's possible people think we're just snarky homeschoolers, (laughs) but that's not Uh, it. It it is yeah that's a thing. Yeah, that is. Oh, well, we are. I'm sorry. We are snarky. No, no, no. I don't but, mean. What I mean, us being snarky is a thing. I think people think we're being snarky is a thing. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Well, well, we have reason. I called people um, homeschool whack jobs like two episodes ago. I know, and there was some negative buzz about that. 
which is funny because that was the episode where we talked about not loving uh, homeschool conventions, but we spent the rest of the episode telling you why you should go to a homeschool convention. <laughs> so, And then we, in fact, went to a homeschool right. convention last week. We were <laughs> exactly. in Nashville. And so we're back. We're back in our studio. And I was going to say one of the reasons we're doing this episode of Homeschooling in Real Life is to just live real in front of our listeners and really um, go into those corner, corners of homeschooling that people ignore. Yeah. Well, here we were at that Nashville convention of Teach Them Diligently, thousands, literally, like 5,000 homeschoolers. And um, that was what we kept hearing, wasn't it? People were saying, hey, thanks for being real in your workshops. Thank you for being real on the podcast. Thanks for reaching into uh, topics that are tricky, you know, are hard to, t- hard to talk about maybe in homeschool circles where people seem to think everybody else lives a perfect life or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's exactly what we heard. And we heard from a lot of um, just new people that we'd never met before, never heard of us. Right. And uh, we had a lot of fun. So, um, you know, this weekend is a good reason to be living. I mean, it's a good weekend to be living real in front of our listeners because we have a lot going on (laughs) in our house. And I know we've called this fluff time, but we are... We are a bit bombarded. We got back from Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, take a deep breath. Go ahead. <laughs> I know. I don't think I have breathed since we arrived home after midnight yeah. on a Monday night. And then, bam, to work next and, morning. Oh, yeah, just exactly. driving people all over. And one of the yeah. big things we're doing is we're moving uh, our house, which means we're moving the studio. Yeah. We don't well, know what that means. Oh, though. my goodness. Okay. So one of the, the workshops you know that I do at conventions is all about organizing your homeschool. And it isn't just about organizing your homeschool stuff, because as any home educators know, it's not just about the homeschool stuff. It's about meal preparation and getting kids where they need to be and getting to church with everybody's shoes on and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Clothes on. Clo- oh, that's a, that's a bonus. Uh, out you of can get the shoes every and Sunday, the clothes. hopefully people can relate to us. There's no underwear worn by little boys in our house to church on Sunday. Oh, see, I thought Sunday was his day. Sunday, Unday, Undy Day is Sunday? Yeah, something like that. F- Friday, well, Friday is Undy Day. I want to know how many of our listeners have this experience. I think in the course of, of parenting over the last 22 years, I can't even count the number of times I've looked down at somebody's hands during church and their fingernails are black yeah. <laughs> and long. And I'm like, oh, well, we Sunday probably should have gotten Saturday, to that. Well, Sunday after you know, you're playing Saturday. So this is <laughs> real life for us. And, and we are. One of the things is we're moving our house, yeah. which means moving oh. a, a home of 10 people plus my parents next door who share property with us. Right. And that's what I was going to say about that was my little tie into the organization thing is that, you know, you just accumulate so much stuff because you have a school in your house. So yeah. it's the globes and the, you know, all the curriculum and the art supplies and the, and I've been packing up the schoolroom and, oh, And we're people grief. that throw stuff out. We are people we that throw, throw stuff, stuff out. I throw stuff out. I, if I don't have I clothes on my body, Kendra will throw it away. I, mean, I, know, I found I tie-dyed clothing <laughs> in the garbage that I've had to bring back to life. You are on to me. So moving and busy weekend and doing yeah. a podcast and we want to tell our story. Mm-hmm. So um, we have all that scheduled for this show. Why don't we uh, take a break, have a commercial, and we'll come back and get started. Hi, this is Carol Topp from the Dollars and Cents Show podcast. You're listening to Homeschooling in Real Life. When you're done listening to Fletch and Kendra here, why don't you head on over to the Dollars and Cents Show where I talk about something of interest to everybody. That's money and also a big old dose of common sense. 
Hi, I always enjoy listening to Fletch and Kendra, and I hope you'll enjoy the other podcasts here at the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. You can find us at iTunes as well, and I, um, I hope you'll consider dropping a great review both for all the work Fletch and Kendra do here at the Homeschool in Real Life podcast as well as my show, Dollars and Cents. Thanks, everybody. back let's uh, start really quick Kendra with why do we feel it's important to tell this story well, L- let's keep this short the gospel yeah <laughs> we we made a transfer from rigid homeschooling mm-hmm. and and I wouldn't use the term legalistic although people might be hearing the story and say oh that's what it sounds like mm-hmm. from rigid homeschooling rigid family life rigid religion to the gospel yeah and really I mean as we unfold this story for you um that rigidity was directly tied to our own hope shifting because we had put our hope in methods and the way we were going to homeschool and, well, just the fact that we were going to homeschool and that we were intentional Christian parents who were going to pour this stuff into our kids. All of that is excellent, but it isn't our hope. Right. Yeah. So that's why we want to share this story. We think it has value. We actually, if you've listened to 44 episodes of Homeschooling in Real Life and, and, you know, we hope that you're sharing this with other people and that you listen to the next 44 episodes. You're going to hear terms like hope shifting. You are going to hear the gospel over and over. And that's another thing people said to us all over that convention convention floor. Thank you for continuing to point people to Jesus. So we're going to do that again on this episode. So where do we get started here? Well, I think we can begin at the beginning and just very briefly say that, you know, I was raised in a home by people who love the gospel and um, just have never known a time when I didn't want to follow God. So fast forward to college, I meet you, you met God where? Well, I was going to say I was raised in a family that was uh, just cradle Episcopalians from the East Coast. So, you know, for those who aren't familiar with the Episcopalian Church, I always like to say it's like Catholic light. Um, it's the Protestant version of uh, the Catholic Church, because so many things were similar. The, and I came to faith in high school through Young Life Ministries, which um, one of those little hidden terms in Young Life is, it's a sin to bore a kid. So I know that when I met Christ, it was in a very exciting, powerful way amongst my peers and parachurch leaders. And then I like to tell people now, I'm in my late 40s. I've never not been in a community group. I mean, since I came to faith in high school, I was always I was in a, a student group. And then when I went to college, I was in a college group. And then the Christian Medical Dental Society and dental school. And then as soon as we hit the ground here in town, we were in community groups. So mm-hmm. I've never not known living in community in my faith and having people rub up against against me, you know, ironing, sharpening iron. Is that right? Ironing? Ironing. Ironing. There was no ironing involved. (laughs) There actually wasn't even any iron involved. But, you know, having people kind of brush up against you and point you to better decisions and helping you make better choices. I've never not known that, which really gets us into marriage and dental school and then coming to town here with two little boys. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And so uh, he was four, that oldest child. And it was purely because I felt like it was going to be a better educational environment for this precocious, bright boy who was already learning, who had already learned to read. So we've talked about that too. Um, And we just began homeschooling because we thought it was a good choice for him in the moment. But never did I think it was going to become a lifestyle. Um, You know, never did I think he would graduate from our homeschool. Uh, And that's indeed what happened. And we're still homeschooling, you know, all these years later. Um, In that time period, Fletch, we were attending a church that became very, very concerned about seekers. So people are familiar with the whole seeker-sensitive movement of the 1990s. Yeah, I was going to say late 90s. Uh That was it, the whole Willow Creek, you know, very, very uh, wide, but very, very shallow. And um, Can I butt in really quick here? There was also something, and I want you to address it. mm. Um, Where were we in parenting at this point? (laughs) You want me to actually say what we were doing? Well, I mean, at the time, we were very involved in growing kids God's way as a ministry. And I don't don't want to go down that path or Mm -hmm. talk about the controversy there, Mm -hmm. but we were very much inclined to raising our kids with a system. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with um, Growing Kids God's Way or those kind of classes, there's a tendency, well, just the title alone, you know, if you do it this way, you're doing it God's way. So, I mean, maybe that's enough said. And I wanted to just point out that we were parenting with a system. A system and a whole lot of purpose and... um, Again, purpose isn't bad at all, no. but it was definitely uh, if if you do A, B, and C, your result will be yeah this. So you know? we dove in after leaving this church. We we now we're up to a couple more kids. We ended up with kind of a reformed view mm-hmm. of uh, theology, and mm-hmm. but we ended up in uh, a little Presbyterian church, mm-hmm. and then a little kind of a reformed Baptist church, mm-hmm. and that's where the story gets a little serious. But oh wait a minute, you're not going to leave yeah, us hanging. We're we're <laughs> really? not going to go there yet. We'll okay. be right back after this break. All right. So one of the things that we thought would be fun to do would be to interview some of our friends that lived with us while we were going through these changes in our marriage and our family. So I grabbed them on the phone and I asked them. You know, what were we like or what was the situation like at the time? And I'll play those in and around our story tonight. I hope you like them. You guys coming over to our house in Salinas and sitting down and, and wanting to have a serious conversation with us about um, kind of doctrine, theology. And, and you kind of came and challenged us and said, hey, this is, this is what we're seeing in Scripture. And, um, and I think... You know, Lisa specifically said, well, that's that's not what I see in Scripture. And, and your challenge was, well, then find find your God uh, in Scripture. And, and that, so there was a push there. Well, we're back and ready to tell you the rest of our story. So we, up to this point, you know, we've made some church changes. We've made a huge theological change. And tell me this, Kendra, did we have an attitude well, yeah, this is the problem. So it's always great to study uh, about God. Um, but when our study of God and what we think about God becomes more important than God, pride overtakes everything. And so we really we really thought and voiced and would, would laugh with other friends who had the same theological bent, bent about how other people were just so theologically inferior. Yeah, and I'd like to get... You <laughs> remind me later to get to the point about graduate church. Remember that I said that, so I'll get right. to that later. Okay. So... 
you know, we had, we had ended in this theological position where we really felt we needed to make some changes. Mm-hmm. And we were just kind of hitting a roadblock. And I, this is someplace I want to talk really quick. A lot of time homeschoolers um, either imagine or create their own roadblocks in the church they're worshiping in. And so we did not have that. We did not create it. It was not imaginary, but I've seen this happen a lot. Do you know what I mean, Kendra? Where they, oh, the, the church is just against us. You know, we're we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And the church just doesn't understand that we're homeschoolers and they're negative against us. And there very well may be some truth to that. But a lot of time homeschoolers create battles that just don't need to be created. Right. And it's just the whole, let's just play well with others. Mm-hmm. We were playing well with others, but there were some things... But there were some things in church that we were looking for that just were never, ever going to happen. Right. And one of those was, it turns out it's a system mm-hmm. out there called the Family Integrated Church Movement. Mm-hmm. And we had met some like-minded folks. Funny enough, they were the same group that we had met prior. Yeah. They were pro-homeschool. They were looking for a family integrated church model that just didn't exist in our area. Okay, now, so for those who don't know, what is family integrated church? Well, you know, that's the idea that there is going to be no programs outside of the family. So the church meets together as a family, and there is no youth department, there is no Sunday school classes, there is no, you know, to the extreme, there is no nursery, there is, you know, your family is the unit that is kept together for worship. And th- all that is fine, right? That's that that in theory is fine. Absolutely. It, it had yeah. become a model, it yeah. had become a movement, and it had become well, we'll get into the rest of that in just a second, but <laughs> you know, that was what we were looking for. We found a church they were like-minded in theology, like-minded in practice. Um it, you weren't going to be odd to be a homeschooler there. Not at all. You were going to be very welcome and accepted. And things just kind of progressed along, right? Yeah. Yeah. What unfortunately I think happened in us, and I'm I'm going to talk a lot about us, and not so much that, because, you know, there's listeners from maybe that part of our life that are still involved, even in that church, and I don't definitely don't want to offend them or, you know, point a finger. I'm just saying, for us, mm-hmm. there became this idea of, again, remember what we said we started our parenting in, in a system? Right. Suddenly, we were doing a, a system of church. Yeah, And this is the way to do church, and this is the best way to do church. Mm-hmm. And you and I, along with others, got to be a little nose up in the air, or what Proverbs would say, a haughty look mm-hmm. towards those that weren't doing it the same way. Right, absolutely. I think that's that's a very apt description. Um, and I would, I would just add to that, too, that anybody who wasn't doing what we were doing was wrong. No, we would not say that. You and I were yeah, kind we enough to yeah. not say that to somebody's face, but that was definitely our mindset. Yeah. If you weren't homeschooling, if you weren't of a reformed theological bent, if you're, um, if maybe the wife worked, oh, <laughs> and the a, de- you know, like yeah. any of those things, if you were going to send your girls to college, you know, like, yeah, you were wrong, right? Or if there was any form of schooling other than in the home, homeschooling by the parents, right? Absolutely. So as we kind of progressed in that, very quickly we recognized that we were heading somewhere we didn't want to head. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I just saw that that there were a number of us that seemed to be kind of folding into a very conservative um, homeschool church culture. And uh, and in a way, you and Kendra did that, but, but then you didn't do that because... Um, 
you know, everything always still seemed to be about, uh, you know, you, you held on to Jimmy Buffett and that fun and that fun side and the mango mango kids and uh, and and the movies. Let's look at let's look at uh, movies and how they impact culture and look at Christianity and movies. Knowing now, I would be able to go back and say, "Oh yeah, like Fletch was in flip flops, <laughs> and then Fletch wore shorts, and Fletch wore a Hawaiian shirt, and we did pool parties at your house, and we did the back porch at your house, which all kind of lended itself to be a little more edgy than what I think the the whole would have been." Um, and I think what you did was um, that you were you were seeing everything that we were seeing and you were experiencing it, you were participating in it, but but you had this kind of extra filter that allowed you to see beyond that, which I don't think I had um, at the time, nor did many of the other folks. So it kind of it was to me it was kind of funny because it felt like you were always um, had a foot in in two different worlds. I want to circle back to my story of salvation again. I was saved in young life, and I can remember sharing the gospel and it being filled with joy, and life was vibrant, and it wasn't the new Christian life I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the entire Christian experience was that way, and it was very much centered on Jesus and very much centered on the gospel and on what he did, and I can remember losing that very quickly as we got to this new church that we we had our thumbprint on our fingerprints were all over the formation of that new body of believers, right? Yeah. I mean, we were we were one of the core starting families. Mm-hmm. And so as we kind of progressed in that, we began to notice something wrong. And I can remember a very pivotal point in our lives. And that was, believe it or not, a radio program. There were no podcasts yet, but there was a radio program called The White Horse Inn. And they decided to do a show called Christless Christianity. And it was a year long. And I can remember that the more I listened to that show and the more I listened to those guys who are now podcast, well, they, they do a podcast now, but, you know, a radio sit down. As they were talking about Christless Christianity, I realized both my history from Young Life and then my, my current status of being in this um, all kind of focused church I was beginning to lose Christ in the midst of that, and we were beginning to lose Christ in the midst of that. But I think initially, if you would have said that to me, I'd have been like, you're full of baloney. Jesus is all around, you know. But really, what was all around was religion and behavior was mm-hmm. all around. Yeah, and a lot of condemnation, both from us um, and our attitude toward others. And I was always, always sort of watching my back, um, knowing that that the whole environment there was was sort of big brother like you know looking down each other's necks to see if everybody's behaving correctly yeah so a couple things not only the crisis christianity but i can clearly remember having a couple of thoughts come to mind and the first one was the one i just shared which was graduate church and do you remember me saying that? Like, I, I feel like we go to a graduate church. Mm-hmm. And I can remember a conversation one time where I thought, we are not the church you come to. We are the church you come to when you've been at another church for many, many years. And you've studied, and you you kind of know everything. And, and now you're at this graduate church. So that was one. Mm. Uh, and the second thing I remember was that term lifestyle evangelism. 
and I know I've written blogs on both of these because they mean a lot to me. Uh, the Graduate Church was one where my eyes started open, and then the the lifestyle evangelism, which was that I began to see that we were evangelizing people into a lifestyle, not into Jesus. And I really want our listeners to get this, that when I talk about lifestyle evangelism, I mean that if a new family came up and met the Fletchers and, and you know, said, hey, Kendra and Andy, oh, you have eight kids, and man, they sit so still in church, and oh, they're all with you, and you just you look so perfect and you're wearing the the uniform of homeschoolers and you you have the voice of homeschoolers and your wife blogs and blah, 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 blah. Tell us, you know, how do we get that? And it became evangelism as to what we did rather than whose we were. Kendra had her blog, her blog with Preschoolers in Peace and therefore she kind of knew how to do the homeschooling thing. Um, it just it all just looked really good and the the hill to die on was we have to stay a traditional homeschool uh non charter school uh don't really try and ask for too much help family and and get it done regardless of of how hard it might be. There's no other option for our family. I mean, I was scared of you guys in all honesty because you had it so together with the way that you homeschooled and with the way you were filling your quiver. So um, it was very intimidating to me. So I kind of like was I would sit in the back and sort of just be a nervous watcher of your family because you guys sat in the front. You kind of lined up. Maybe I think I remember according to age or something. And you guys just the front row was. um, It just looked really really good. Yeah. So if you know, in simple terms, instead of pointing people to Jesus. We were pointing people to what we were doing. Yeah, so family integration, Mm -hmm. that was a big one. Right. Homeschooling. Um, The other ones, and and there were some more issues of conflict there, as you guys have been listening to me as a podcaster, you have to realize, I never changed my love for culture or my engagement with culture. (laughs) And that just became a point of contention. There was a major major crisis that occurred. Yeah. And so Fletch, you have this whole thing going on spinning around you and I'm starting to get uneasy with the way things are because we're talking about being in a, an environment that was this Christless Christianity. You know, it was the law, the law, the law, the law, and the law never compels anybody to change anything. It's, it's grace and the gospel that floods in and shows us that we have a redeemer from the law. And so, you know, all of that's kind of starting to really affect us in positive ways. God is shepherding us back in a beautiful way. And all of that was great. And it all came crashing down that June morning when I walked into the baby's room and found him in a coma. All right, let's take a break. It was a hot June morning, and I was just thinking to myself, this little guy is sleeping a lot longer than he normally sleeps. He was only seven weeks old, and, you know, I got the rest of the kids breakfast, and I ran up the stairs. I opened our closet door, and he was in our little Moses basket, and he was unresponsive. His skin was clammy. His lips were blue. His eyes were rolled back into his head, and, you know, that's a crisis moment. That's a moment where 911 is the only only thing, and, and a prayer, you know, God, help me in this moment. The paramedics arrived in our home, and they could see immediately that something was drastically wrong, and so we put this little guy in the back of an ambulance, and I sat up front, and 
We're just getting down the road, and all of a sudden, EMT in the back says, his blood sugar's 13. And right then, the ambulance driver reaches under, turns on the siren, turns on the lights, and we just start flying down our road. I looked at him, and I said, what's normal? And he said, 60. Not not 16. Yeah, I know. 60. Um, and that little guy's blood sugar was th- at 13. His uh, protein levels were going through the roof. And, you know, I'm not a medical girl, so I don't, I don't know what these numbers mean. But obviously something is dreadfully wrong. We get to the ER. They can't do anything for him. In fact, they couldn't even put a line in him because he's just this teeny little guy. They had to get a nurse from the NICU to come down and do it. You know, just weren't prepared for the kind of care that a, a, a baby of this size needed in that crisis. And at one point I heard the charge nurse yell, he's going to die. We've got to get him out of here, you know, which is super comforting. Yeah. <laughs> and I know at that point I'm there with you. Uh-huh. You know, we're, we're finally kind of figuring this out together. Right. And so they were going to put him into an air or a helicopter, which they couldn't do because there were big fires on the coast of California that summer. Couldn't see. So they put him in the back of an acute care ambulance, slammed those doors. And you remember, we just got in the car with anything we had with us. Which was like uh, my bag from work and our clothes. Right, exactly. On our backs. Yeah, and I think I had scrubs on from my dental office. (laughs) And we just followed. We didn't even follow it. They were already gone. We just tracked down to... About an, about an hour and a half south yeah. of where we live. Right. And so we get there and they say, you can't come in. We need to run tests. And I, I remember running to Old Navy and just getting clothes off the clearance rack to sleep in yeah. that night. I mean, we really had nothing with shorts us. shorts and a shirt and thinking, we're only going to be here right. overnight. Overnight. Right? Yeah. No big deal. No yeah. big deal. And I can remember when we get back to that hospital and they finally welcome us in. And I remember the feeling when they took us into a dark room. It was comfortable. There were couches. And I'm thinking... We're not in the room with our baby. They're going to give us bad news. And it was dim lights, and Dr. Montez walked in, and he said, we don't know what's wrong with your little boy. It Nothing makes sense. I want to start from the beginning. And he goes back through the day, and we share all the details of the day. And he said, you know, this just doesn't make sense. If only, if only there was a sign like diarrhea. And I said, diarrhea? I I changed like six diapers in the emergency room. The problem was we kept changing the diapers when the entire staff was out of the room Mm -hmm. and they never saw these loaded diapers. And he said, I know what it is. And he walked out of the room and he said, keep your cell phone on. We'll call you if we need you. But he might not make it through the night. And we were released. Yeah. So, you know, we go to bed that night thinking this is it. We're losing our little one. We wake up that morning and they had called, but there was not uh, a sad response. It was just a, hey, you need to come down here (laughs) response. We get down there and our little boy is hooked up to every possible machine. He was in liver failure, kidney failure. He had brain damage and heart damage. At that point, they knew all of this. And I remember you walking into the room just to kind of coo over him. And I sat there and talked to the two doctors out in the the main area and they brought up his CT scan and Mm. they proceeded to go through his brain and show me all the holes yeah. and said, this is the damage that's happened. In 24 hours. And this is what you can expect before you go in the room to talk to your wife. Mm. You can expect your son to be blind, deaf, possibly a vegetable. They didn't, I don't think they use the term vegetable, but <laughs> non-responsive and seizing constantly. Um, if he makes it out of this hospital, you have a long road ahead of you. And I can remember through all of that, just feeling 
like the world was behind us because mm-hmm. we were being descended upon by emails and text messages and everything in our, you know, even our close parents, your parents lived in town. They were able to visit. My parents drove back from vacation and parked their motorhome for us to use in the, the hospital parking lot. And all these things were happening. And our hope, my hope, was in every report from that doctor. You know, is he peeing? Are his kidneys back online? Are his mm. lungs working? Is his brain working? Um, and just to talk about what we said at the very beginning of this podcast, my hope was in a lot of things other than God, mm. which leads to the biggest part of this story. Yeah. Well, one night I was there by myself because, you know, this is a long road and you were, you had to work. (laughs) You had to actually be here seeing patients. And so, you know, I stayed down at that hospital most weeknights by myself and I was there just probably singing to him. I would do that every night. Um, And we had watched a vigil for a young woman for about three days. Um, They had brought her in to die. She was 16 years old. And so we had watched this that entire time. She, you know, they brought that priest in and they brought in the the charismatic pastors who anointed her head with oil and sang over her. They brought in the dog. They brought in, you know, numerous family members. The waiting room um, in that PICU was packed with her family. Yeah, I mean, so packed that literally when I would walk out of there, I would have to say, excuse me, excuse me, to get through all the people that were there to support her. Um, and so one night I was there with Joe and, um, the curtains are drawn and the door is shut, but I can hear a mom wailing in the hallway. And I knew what had happened. She had lost her battle with cancer and that was her mom wailing out in the hallway for the loss of her daughter. And in that moment, um, I just clearly remember God saying, Kendra, you are so focused on all the wrong things. You are focused on your methods and how you do things and what church you're in and dress lengths and head coverings and all kinds of things that we were wrapping ourselves up in um, that weren't Jesus and weren't about Jesus. They were about our own good works. Um, And he just said, it's about me. It's all about me. That mom out in that hallway needs hope. She needs to know that this life, her daughter's death, her loss, they're about Jesus' redemption on the cross, and that there is hope for us. And you need to be in the business of giving people hope, the hope of the gospel. Let's take a break right here, because in case you think the story couldn't get any worse, (laughs) it does. That was a catalyst for you guys and for many, including me, like, where is our hope? You know, I never had the joy walking in as a Christian. There wasn't joy. It was rules and regulations. But hearing that there could be joy and peace and, uh, you know, that Jesus was the center of that, that was was new business. But I felt like that kind of launched you guys I guess maybe back to Jesus? Well, I think with Mighty Joe, um, you know, it was it was a wake-up call kind of shock to your family. Um, that was kind of like, you know, a record playing, kind of kind of like it, there was a skip. And uh and that caused a skip and I think that um was a was a part that kind of be, be, not that began because I think it was always kind of this this side 
um, side movement that you had uh, relative to wanting, as I said, to keep one foot in each world. But I think it, it, it started pulling you to more of what's, what's really important as opposed to just focusing on the doctrine or just focusing on the theology or what, it, what, what this um, looks like. It, it shouldn't have to look so um, scripted uh, in terms of how we live out um, our faith. But I saw a real clinging to Christ and a a real a sharp it just seemed like it was a sharp shift and that all of a sudden these systems there was nothing these systems could even do there was there was no there wasn't even a, a shred of room for the system i remember talking with talking through things with ken on the phone and just okay you know this is we gotta we gotta cling to the truth of scripture and what the lord tells us again that helped you just open your eyes uh, a little larger to we we need to, we need to keep opening this up and and getting bigger and bigger here because our focus has been too narrow. We had come home uh, from the hospital with Mighty Joe, and you know if you've ever had a child in the hospital, it it takes time to get back to normal and back to routines and and uh, just sort of feel like you're back to where the life was. And, you know, here we had this very um, precarious situation with this baby. We didn't know what his little life would be like. Um, and so some of that was getting back to starting to observe him and see how he fit into our family with his, his brain damage and other issues he might have. And so we're starting to feel like life is returning back to normal. It was now December of that year, just after Christmas, and um, I went bowling with a couple of friends and our kids. We came back from bowling, and I pulled into the driveway. We have a, a circular driveway with a fountain in the middle and a curb that surrounds it. It's all landscaped, and it's very pretty. But as I pulled in, I normally parked on one side of that circle, and that day I thought, you know, I'm going to pull around the circle, and then Fletch can come in and just park behind me. But our five-year-old assumed I was going to stop where I normally stop. She had flung open the door, was sitting on the side of the van, and she jumped out uh, right on right onto the concrete. I didn't know she had done this. Um, it's a big 12-passenger van. I was focused on parking. It's probably going about five miles an hour in our driveway, not very fast, but I thought I was going over the curb in the middle of that driveway um, until our kids were screaming, Mom, Mom, you're running over Ansley. And in that moment, um, I just remember praying, Lord, prepare me for what I'm going to see. Turned off the car, I got out of the door, and I came around the back of the van, and she was sitting up crying. So your worst nightmare just took place. Oh, yeah. This was within months after um, singer Stephen Curtis Chapman's son had accidentally run over their little girl, and she had not lived. And that's what came flooding into my head. And I thought, that's what I'm, I'm going to see my, my daughter dead yeah. um, on the ground. But she was sitting there, and um, I said, honey, can you stand up? can you walk? And, and she did. She said, yes, but it hurts. And I, well, yeah. So she, she got, got run over by her mom in by, the van. <laughs> exactly. A 12 passenger van. So she stood up 
and we walked into the house and she got about halfway up the stairs and she's crying and, um, but there's no blood. There's no, you know, I don't see any bruising. There's nothing, there's not a broken bone that's sticking out of her or anything dangerous. So I rush her upstairs. I put her in a warm bathtub just to sort of calm her down and to calm myself down. And I just remember calling you and saying, I ran over Ansley and, you know, you with all this medical knowledge said, well, is she peeing blood? Is she spitting up blood? Is she vomiting? Is she, she walk know, upstairs? Can she walk yeah. up the stairs? You know, all these things. Yes. Yes. No, 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 not any of those things. Yes. She walked up the stairs. Um, and, and so we made what we thought was a wise choice in the moment and, you know, whether it was or not, it's the choice we made and yeah. we made it because we, we honestly thought this was the best choice. We, we live, um, a little out of the ways of town and faster than any ER, um, is our friend, um, Dr. Beach, who's a chiropractor. And we thought, let's just run her over to John's office and he can x-ray her immediately and tell us what to do. And so that's what we did. Uh, ran her there, uh, and he did. He he didn't. He actually, he didn't even X-ray her. He just sort of, kind of, you know, placed his hands where we thought she had been run over. And he said, "You know, Kenj, I think it's uh, maybe a little fracture in her pelvis." So I run her to the ER, and this was the same ER yeah. we'd taken Joe to. Same ER. Yep. And so we we go in, we get in there, and somebody in that ER was upset that we didn't call nine one one. Um, and so I didn't realize this until a couple hours of waiting there and, you know, whatever they were, we thought they were doing, um, but they had called CPS. Yeah. And I can remember that's where I come into the story. I came in and there was a sheriff and he was asking me questions and I thought, <laughs> it's funny that you're like, boy, they, this, you know, I'm not filing a claim against my insurance. I don't need law enforcement. <laughs> and then I kind of turned on, I said, oh, you're here because you think something screwy happened. And I said, you know, I'm glad you're here. You know, we appreciate law enforcement. But you got a mama bear in that other room, and she's already devastated that this accident <laughs> happened. She's already upset that she ran over her daughter. To be accused of CPS violations or you know, <laughs> some sort of thing like that, this is going to undo her. So tread lightly. <laughs> and I remember yeah. he was very understanding. Regardless, um, they sent CPS out to our home that evening. Uh, they actually put our little girl and me into an ambulance to go down to that children's hospital again because they, I don't know why actually. Now, in retrospect, I think, I think they knew she was fine, but they wanted to cover their bases. And so we, we get transported down there. Um, this time I got to go with her and you stayed home and, uh, that social worker came to our home. Yeah. It was Complete. I think you and I have two different stories, actually, about yeah, this. Yeah, go ahead and tell yours. Well, in, in my world, I'm thinking, this is it. They're taking my children. They think I'm a monster. My worst nightmare has come true. I have run over my child, and now my second worst nightmare has come true. And they have called CPS. And they think I'm a monster mother. So while I'm in that ambulance with Ansley, I'm freaking out. <laughs> so what are you doing at home with the rest of the kids? Yeah, so I bring everybody home, and you know the CPS worker that comes out is not a CPS worker. He's a um, abuse against elder care, but he's just filling in. And he tells me right off the bat, we have to cross the T's and dot the I's. I can already tell you. There's nothing fishy going on here, and this report will die in my office. So my experience is, let's just get through this. It's been a long day. You know, my wife's freaked out. She's down, you know, an hour and a half down, uh, and I need to reach her and just let her know everything's cool. But for our listeners, this is where hope shifting comes in. So 
Where was your hope being displaced? Well, my hope was entirely in all of the people used in this situation. So my hope was in what the sheriff was going to say. My hope was in what our doctor was going to say and um, our chiropractor was going to say, because we knew that they would call them. My hope was in the CPS worker. Just, just all, anything, anything but God. And then actually, the hospitalist who had been Mighty Joe's doctor came in and was just wonderful to me. And my hope shifted to him. And I thought, oh, good, maybe the, he'll tell the hospital that I'm not a monster. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you're a listener of ours and you're going through a situation like this, whether it's health or whether it's, you know, a CBS investigation, um, these are the, the times where we will so quickly shift our hope. We talk about that pendulum and it shifts from the world to religion. And, you know, essentially we're shifting over to the world here. We're saying, oh, we hope that the government understands or that these right. things work out. But religion is just as evil on the other side mm. saying, you're making deals with God. God, if you'll only do this. God, if you'll do this. You know, you know as opposed to just trusting in him mm-hmm. and knowing that he has your best in all of this. So in case you think this story has not been devastating enough from Mighty Joe's coma to Ansley getting run over, which is horrible, but then the second part triggering this falsified wrong CPS investigation that's stirred up fear, the story gets even crazier. And we'll be right back. This is John Wilkerson from The Wired Homeschool. I'm enjoying this story that took Fletch and Kendra from religious bondage to gospel-centered freedom. When you're done listening, why don't you head on over to The Wired Homeschool, thewiredhomeschool.com, where you'll find tech, tools, and tips for homeschooling the internet generation. That's thewiredhomeschool.com. I hope you'll head on over there and stick me in your ears. And now, let's stick Fletch and Kendra back into your ears. All right, so we've had these two crazy situations with two kids, and I know what we're coming out of here is a renewal back to Jesus and remembering that our hope is in Christ, um, and we don't need to be tied up in all of these systems and all of these crazy behaviors. And I can remember it it was eating at us, mm-hmm. and as that year went on um, after Ansley's accident, it just became more of a vernacular in our family, and we rediscovered the gospel. I can remember um, just talking about it a lot and re- reminding each other that we don't need all these systems that we put in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can remember this coming to a head when we got together with one of the leaders at our church, and and we'd had a conversation and went something like this. You remember? What did you say? Yeah, I actually was telling him the story of the young woman who had died while we were there uh, with Mighty Joe, and I said... It is all about Jesus. <laughs> and that's when the statement that came back said, you know, the problem with saying that it's all about Jesus, and then they went on. And I remember <sighs> saying, there is no problem with saying it's all about Jesus. Right. It's all about Jesus. Right. End of story, period, end of report. Right. Um, but I can remember that was a Thursday night, and we had all been sick, mm-hmm. and we were out having coffee, mm-hmm. and we came back home and our daughter was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us had been sick, but Caroline was kind of hanging on a little bit longer than the rest of us. She was. She was eight at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, the rest of us are getting better. And she would say things to me like, 
mommy, my tummy hurts. And I'd say, oh yeah, mine does too. You know, when you throw up a lot, your stomach hurts, you know, these are the kind of conversations we're having. Very normal. Um, But you came home that Thursday night and you said, you know, I wonder if she's getting a little dehydrated. Let's, let's push the fluids, you know, let's really get her drinking and stuff. And then if she's not looking better in the morning, I'm going to take her in. And I said, okay, great. Well, the next morning she was in septic shock. Yeah. Eyes rolled back. Mm-hmm. And un- unresponsive. unresponsive. I was asking her questions about her favorite Disney princesses, and there were no, there was like nobody was home. Mm-hmm. I scooped her up and I put her in the van, and we ran to the same ER we'd been to <laughs> twice before because this time we weren't going to wait for anything. <laughs> we were right. heading to the ER, right? And um, I on on route, I called a friend who was a doctor, an ER doctor. He was at home, miracle. Mm-hmm. He picked up the phone, miracle. He yeah. said, I'll meet you at the hospital, miracle. Mm-hmm. And he was waiting out in front with a wheelchair as I pulled up, and he took her right through triage and took her right back to x-rays and said, this girl needs to be x-rayed. She said, he already knew what was going on. He did. He suspected what the problem was. And in fact, it was... It was a ruptured appendix. A ruptured appendix. And that ruptured appendix, once they got in her into emergency surgery within an hour, uh, it took them 15 minutes to remove that, that infected appendix and 45 minutes to clean her out. They said... She had probably, it had probably ruptured 24 to 48 hours before we had gotten her in there. You know, to make this story kind of quick, she was in for 21 days. 21 days. Now, I don't know about our listeners, but prior to this, I thought, oh, appendix, it's like tonsils. You know, you go yeah. in, they take it out, you go wisdom home the teeth. next day. It's, it's no like big deal. Teeth. You're in, you're right. out. Yeah. Exactly. And, and in fact, that's true if it hasn't ruptured. And then if it hasn't ruptured to such a state. And so we're there a week and she's not getting better. They take her in again. They place a drain deep within her. Um, this will. This is great. This will. You know, get the infection. We can get her home. No, two weeks later, it's not. She's not getting better. Uh, and we have some bad news. We need to place a drain so deeply in her pelvis that it needs to skirt her femoral artery to get that in there. Two surgeons, if you remember, two surgeons could do this surgery and neither of them wanted to do it because it was an eight-year-old girl. Yeah. And neither wanted to take responsibility for her life, which I absolutely understand. Yeah. But it was about 24 hours of waiting before, I guess they played Rochambeau or something to figure <laughs> out who was going to do this surgery. And then one of them finally stepped up and said, you know, I'll, I'll take that responsibility. And so... We do that. Um, she lives. They place that drain, but it was a full 21 days in ICU yeah, before and that, we could get that her That did home. clear her up, and she did come home. But let mm-hmm. me stop again one more time and ask you some questions. Um, when I was taking her back to the same hospital, yeah, did you have any issues with your hope again? Absolutely. Yeah, I struggled deeply with going back to that hospital because I'll tell you, after the CPS incident, I was just sure they were hovering over our family. I was just sure that every day there was somebody assigned to the Fletcher family (laughs) who was looking through all the paperwork and looking in our windows and watching me drive up and away from our home. And none of those things are true. But I was so fearful and my hope was not in God, even though he had our backs. And then we had... You know, these multiple re-entry surgeries to get infection out. Right. And we found that our hope kept spilling back over to doctors and yeah. to results. You know, right. if only they do this, if only they do this. And then at the end, you know, they told us, um, you know, with 
due to the amount of radiation down in her pelvis and due to the size of the infection deep in her pelvis, you know, she may have um, issues later reproductively. Mm -hmm. And I remember again, you know, crushing us Mm -hmm. and saying, oh, you know, and again, shifting our hope and and just saying, oh, well, we hope that her body works out the way it's supposed to work. And again, this reminder that our hope is to be in God and our security is in Christ. Um, But what happened the night before we had gone into this hospital setting? We had just had this conversation saying, it's all about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So here we have the big three, Mighty Joe, Lola, or Ansley, and then Caroline. That rocked our world. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we were awakened once and for all to the gospel. And we realized then that we had been playing a game for too long, a game that involved behavior, homeschool behavior, a game that involved religious behavior, uh, theological behavior, doctrinal behavior, and then, then this other full side thing, like how you're going to behave and how you're going to do life and do church. That all came undone in, in, in a good way. Like, we're just letting go, right? and we're going to focus back on Jesus. And we rediscovered the gospel, and that's when things got really tricky for us in our social settings and in our religious settings. A deep breath, if that makes any sense. I feel like there was an ability to breathe deeply. I, I, that's the only thing I think of with Kenj, is I feel like Kenj just went with a big deep breath and an exhale. There was an ability to say, I'm okay. And, you know, I don't have to do all this performance. We'd really bought into a system. We bought into this ultra-conservative church uh, homeschooling uh, movement that could only be done a very specific way. And, and And that process became a religion, and I and I think um, in the in the thought or the phrase of losing our religion, uh, it was a good thing. At the same time, like you said, freeing and confidence—a confidence underneath, knowing that we it isn't up to us. Because I really don't think there's a better way to call it than a religious setting. Because yeah. if you were going to say that that was a fellowship setting, it was really more of a religious setting. You know, what, what gets lobbed at people like us, <laughs> the, the accusation is, well, when you say it's all about Jesus or, you know, when it's all about the gospel or it's all about grace, then, you know, then you just open up a can of worms and everybody can live licentiously. And I don't, I don't know who that Christian is that says, oh, I'm all in. I love Jesus. I trust him. I want to follow him but I'll just go do whatever the heck I want. Who, yeah. who is that Christian? Yeah. You know, any of us who's been transformed by the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, any of us who understand the depth of his love and the, and who are living in the overflow of that, living as loved, we desire greatly to have his Holy Spirit change us and to become more like him. And so that is what we began to see. And, and here's the amazing thing I began to, began to realize. I had wanted to follow God for 40 years at that point in my life. It had been 40 years. I had not seen more spiritual growth in my entire life than I have in the last five years of my life. Now, it's funny that you bring that up 
because I did um, notice in my own life, I've had tremendous growth yeah. in five years. I've had the hardest five years of my life. <sighs> and I'm not talking about Joe, Ansley, or Caroline. Right. I'm talking about the freedom that the gospel has brought to me has allowed me to go deeper into things that I had been hiding yeah. um, in previous years. So, you know, again, hurlers, um, if you're listening to this story, where we're going to go next is g- getting very personal and transparent. There were plenty of things we were hiding in our marriage. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of things we were hiding in our parenting. Um, we were we were uh, parenting with a behavior mindset, and you know, we were we, we were. I was a control freak. Is basically what I mm-hmm. what I want to get to. So, you know, you have to behave this way. You have to behave this way. And if you go back and listen to episodes one through forty four, everything should make sense now. As we came to gospel freedom, suddenly we were released of a lot of that bondage. Right. And you know, why did we start homeschooling in real life? This is the real life part. We want to reach back into homeschooling that we were in and say, "Come out into the light." Mm-hmm. You know, let's live life truthfully and let's be transparent. And that's what allows us now to be able to say with anybody, hey, this is what's going on in our marriage today. This is what's going on in our parenting today. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to be devastated. We're not going to be, oh, so embarrassed by mm-hmm. our kids' behavior. You know, at church, when you find out that your kid is the one that's slamming the grape juice and <laughs> eating the... <laughs> The wafers at church, like I'm no longer embarrassed by that. Like, oh, I've got the worst kid here. I'm just doing a horrible job parenting. You know, we're terrible homeschoolers. It's okay. So <laughs> my kid's acting like a kid, right. and I missed it for a second when I should have been watching him. Wait a minute, my kids are sinners. It's as if they're being raised by sinners. Yes. <laughs> so you know that that kind of brings us here. We have a a couple more key points in the story. I think we can point out before we wrap up tonight. Um, I think along the way, uh, just gospelizing one another mm-hmm. over and over and over again, and then ending up in a fellowship that the pastor does that mm-hmm. from the pulpit, and he does that in conversation. Yeah. And you know, he, he will ask you questions, uh, identity questions from mm-hmm. the pulpit. He'll ask mm-hmm. the, the congregation. Oh, he won't just do it from the pulpit. No, he'll do it at a party. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And he'll and but but we'll do that in yeah. our family and we'll do yes. that in our community group. Yes. And, and I hear my teens do it with one another. I hear them say, Where are you where are you putting your hope? Or are you know, you're loved, you're accepted just just as you are. You don't need that, you know, or yeah. those people or that situation to make you feel like you have worth and value or to give you that. You have that in Jesus. I hear them talk like this to each other. And so when we hear it, you know, in homeschooling, we'll be the first to call you out as our listeners and say, hey, you know what? Homeschooling will not save your ch- your kids. And homeschooling will make things difficult on your marriage. It's okay. Talk about it out loud. Yeah. And when we were in Nashville, we did a session on how um, hard times will make your marriage better. And we have found every single time as soon as we're transparent about what's going on in our marriage, whether it's uh, tension or depression or um, just, no, that's my life, <laughs> tension <laughs> and depression, mm-hmm. um, people immediately will come up and say, here's what's going on in our marriage. Right. Or here's where we're living in fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we hope that as you've listened to this story tonight, um, those same things happen. Like, you know what? You're cool. It's fine. Jesus has your back. Live as loved. 
and uh, find that place where you can be transparent. And if you're not in a community that allows that, well, you're in one here with us, mm-hmm. and it might be virtual. Yeah, you know, Fletch, one thing I've heard you say over and over again to everyone, not just our kids, but to friends, to you know, to patients probably, if I'm there chairside with you, is there's nothing you can say that's going to shock me. We've heard it all. We have heard people unpack the most egregious sins. Every sin is egregious, yeah. but you know, the the things that are things so things that we think are so shocking. horrible. Yeah. Right, exactly. And and it allows us to be safe with one another because I'm always going to point you back to Jesus instead of sitting there in my self-righteousness and condemning you and and comparing what a better what a better Christian I am than you are because I behave a certain way. That's a lie, and Satan wants us to believe it. But when we're transparent, there's nothing that should shock us about each other. We're all sinners. We're all covered in the perfect blood of the Lamb. Those are words of hope, yeah. and those are words that we can can trust. And as we head into Easter this week, uh, our encouragement to you is to revisit the gospel, unpack mm-hmm. it. It's This isn't something we... We pack up every year and then pull down for Easter and look at it and say, oh, Jesus died on the cross, save us from our sins so we could live forever. Yada, 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 got it. You know, we, we live in the gospel every day. <laughs> every day. And that doesn't mean I wake up every day and say, Jesus died on the cross, save us from our sins. It means I, I live in that identity. Yeah. It says, I'm a saved individual, mm-hmm. um, I'm redeemed, and I'm safe, and I am loved. And when i when i can truly live as loved that means i can be honest with everyone around me but including myself and i can say you know what man you screwed up again today that's okay <laughs> talk yeah. about it out loud it's okay you don't need to bury this one right you, you can live this one out loud and we're going to do a, a show coming up about transparency with your kids and about how being transparent with your kids um especially when we found this out, that it really opens some doors for some deep, rich conversations and Mm -hmm. healing if there's Mm -hmm. been hurts and advancement if there's been um, stagnation Mm -hmm. with your kids. You just find out that when they realize that you are their brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as their dad and mom, um, you'll just see how doors open. So we're going to get there. So we went a little long tonight, but we're going to wrap up really quickly um, on this episode. Um, our next episode is part two um, to the top 10 TV dads list. <laughs> I just have to laugh because we go from deep to really, really shallow. Really, like, yeah. <laughs> and this was a little heavier. I mean, it sounds a little heavier, but yeah. it, this was a, well, we've been wanting to tell the story for a long time, but um, we have that coming up. We have, um, we have a huge announcement. <laughs> that story we just shared mm. Um Oh, you want to say it? Yeah. Well, um, I just signed a book contract, and we're going to be publishing this book next year with New Growth Press uh, in partnership with Key Life Ministries. Very, very, very excited to share this story in hopes that it will reach people who need to hear that there's freedom at the cross. Now, if you have um, friends that you want to share the story with or say, oh man, I just heard a great one. There's a slightly smaller version of it. <laughs> we spoke at Easter a few years ago at our church, and we'll put up a, uh, a link to that um, that version where we, we just got up in a real quick 10-minute uh, um, story and talked about finding the gospel. It has developed so much since then. 
that this longer version is now available. <laughs> um, and it'll be in a book version, too. So that's a huge announcement. I'm very excited. Congratulations, Kendra. Thanks. I have written um, nothing lately. I'm just... <laughs> You write uh, I write prescriptions. checks lately. I've been writing <laughs> a lot of checks to get our prescriptions. Yes, prescriptions. People are very happy when you write them a prescription. Yeah. So sure. if you want to reach out to us about this episode or anything we've talked about, you can get us on Facebook at facebook.com slash homeschooling IRL. If you want to contact us through our website, um, just go to the contact page at homeschoolingirl.com. And those contact forms come directly to us. We respond to every one of them. We do. We're a little slow right now. Yeah, there's just <laughs> an we, we, we have respond. a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and then Twitter is, uh, our handle is at homeschoolirl. Um, busy week. We have Easter coming up. And uh, we're doing, we're going to a podcast episode. We're going to go see Stuff You Should Know. I know. How cool Josh is that? Josh and Chuck, my Maybe favorite Maybe we could get them to come. Well, they just have to sit in our house yeah, while we podcast. I doubt yeah. they're no. going to do that. <laughs> but we're going to go see them live in San Francisco. So uh, we'll be uh, live tweeting from that event if you want to follow along with that. And we will talk to you uh, the day after Easter next week. Thanks for listening. The Homeschooling IRL podcast is a part of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Every show is written and produced by Andy and Kendra Fletcher. For more information on this podcast or to contact your hosts, please visit us on our website and blog at homeschoolingirl.com.